My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus. But the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So to them, Jesus addressed this parable. A man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. So the father divided the property between them. After a few days, the younger son collected all his belongings and set off to a distant country where he squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation, where he had freely spent everything. A severe famine struck the country, and he found himself in dire need. So he hired himself out to one of the local citizens who sent him to his farm to tend the swine. And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed, but nobody gave him any. Coming to his senses, he thought, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food to eat? But here am I dying from hunger. I shall get up and go to my father and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. So he got up and went back to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But his father ordered his servants quickly, bring the finest robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Take the fattened calf and slaughter it. Then let us celebrate with a feast, because the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back, as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, Your brother has returned, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry, and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes for him, you slaughter the fattened calf. He said to him, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice 
because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. In recent years, a greater number of parents than perhaps at any other time prior would agree that one of the biggest contributors to their stress, the biggest threats to their sanity, comes from one source, Disney. Specifically, Disney's animated movies. Now, this wasn't the case for decades. Being born in 1973, Disney's new releases were few and far between. I was looking at the list of animated films on Wikipedia, and I only really remembered Pete's Dragon from my time. Some of the older movies, which were probably re-released in theaters or showed up on television when I was growing up, were definitely family favorites, like The Jungle Book or 101 Dalmatians. But I don't remember them ever becoming an ever-present part of our lives with books and toys. And I can't even really remember any of the songs from them. But even being a celibate priest of 22 years now with no children of my own, that cartoon factory has found a way to torture even me with their recent films. They all start out as creative and enjoyable the, the first 25 times you hear and see them. But then as they become these phenomenons with streaming services, practically entire industries based on one film, what was cute and catchy becomes something closer to Chinese water torture. And this started during my college years with The Lion King and Pocahontas and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The saturation of the songs being played all over the place were mildly to somewhat annoying. But nothing compares to this current era where I'm guessing I can unsettle a great number of people with just three words. Let it go. Oh yes, that power anthem, Let It Go, from the 2013 movie Frozen, can reduce some to convulsions. Having three nieces who were almost eight, four, and two when Frozen was first released, and then a year older when it really hit all the home video streaming market, it was an education as to what parents have to go through. These three nieces, that might have been the last time they were ever united in enjoying something together. My mother's great hopes or her Italian curse that my oldest brother, when he tortured her growing up, that his kids would pay him back, she could never have dreamed of how those wishes are going to be fulfilled. Of course, she helped by buying the youngest a dress that when she pushed the button would just light up with all these lights on and would play just a few seconds of let it go, let it go. So that's all a disclaimer for tonight, today's homily to get that into everyone's head because at the risk of triggering a lot of people right now, those three words just kept coming to mind every time I was praying these scriptures all week. Let it go. Because these scriptures are all talking about the transformation that God is trying to bring about. Reminding us of the newness that deep within us that we long for in our lives, that it's possible. And the healing of all that's broken within, it can happen when we let it go. But what is the it? 
looking at the scriptures, it is actually a bunch of things. I had to laugh because in the first reading from Joshua, there was a specific it that the men experienced. Namely, they had all just been circumcised. What was all that about? Well, the people of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, unable to enter the land that God had promised them. The 40 years had just ended, and one of the last things for that to happen, for that new day to dawn, and when that reproach of Egypt was removed, was when the men were circumcised. They finally fulfilled the part of the covenant that the people of Israel had made with God, but had not honored while they were in the wilderness. But to be sure, that was just an outward expression of what was happening spiritually and internally among all the people during those four long decades. The reason that they wandered for so long was despite the fact that God unleashed 10 dramatic plagues on all of Egypt for enslaving his people until the Pharaoh would let them go. Despite God parting the Red Sea for them to march forward to freedom, and then unparting the Red Sea on the Egyptian forces that were chasing after them as they left slavery behind, eliminating that threat from them forever. Despite his promises being fulfilled time and time and again, and just asking his people to reciprocate in, in trust and in faithfulness, the people would constantly come up short. And it would take these 40 years of wandering in the wilderness to learn how to let it go. The it being their unfaithfulness, their doubts, their overthinking and their overcomplicating of things, their hesitations, their fears. And once they have, once they let it all go, all those things, we hear of the joy that comes as we read that first reading. They finally made it into this long promised homeland. They're celebrating their Passover, the great celebration of God's deliverance. They're no longer eating manna, this mysterious bread that God had provided to sustain them that after 40 years of having it every day, I'd gotten a bit boring to that point. But now we're feasting on the produce of the land, the land that God had promised them. They were experiencing fulfillment. But we can't lose sight of the fact that the delay for that fulfillment was completely the people's fault. God is always faithful to his promises, but he's waiting for us to believe that and to trust that and to live as people who are faithful to him and him alone. And the fact that the people would lose this promised land would end up being enslaved again, and not just to foreign enemies and ruthless leaders, but worse, to the devil himself, as they would be enslaved to sin, was a result of them reverting back to some of the things they had just let go of and starting to cling to once again. Humanity would start to rely solely on themselves, put their faith and trust in themselves and the things of creation rather than the loving creator. They would move slowly to treat God as this disinterested bystander who would try to, they would try to appease with surface level affection in their worship of him and very minimal observance of his laws, constantly looking loopholes for his commandments. And then they find themselves lost and divided and desperately, desperately in need of a savior. 
And yet, as Jesus arrives on the scene, we see time and again that they fail to recognize God incarnate. They fail to accept him as he tries once again to call his people to recognize their narrow visions, their misinterpretations of scriptures, the limitations that they put not just on God himself, but who they were and who they were supposed to be. Jesus is constantly trying to capture their hearts and their minds to these obstacles and calling them to let those go. And this gospel today is another example of Jesus trying to do just just that. This is possibly the most well-known parable of all scriptures, which has often been, according to me at least, mistitled the prodigal son. And why do I think it's mistitled? because that's too narrow a description of the story. And it almost makes us put all the focus on the one son, which is if we, if we let that happen, we can find ourselves falling into that same messed up thinking that the oldest one had, who's only interested in comparing and contrasting himself with his brother. And in the process, we miss the one character that does deserve all the attention, and that's the father. I had a relative who every time this gospel came up would file that recurrence in her mind so that the next time she saw me, she could tell me that she didn't think this was right. And she agreed with the older son, who she described as the faithful one. And then she would give me examples of how unfair it was that she had to go to Mass every Sunday and someone who makes a deathbed confession could, as she put it, skate right into heaven. In my early years of priesthood, I would debate her how she was missing the point. I point out disagreeing with Jesus is in a good spot to be in. Anything. And after some years, I just kind of tired of arguing and, and kind of disengaged, which saddens me in retrospect now that she's passed on. Because she didn't realize that she didn't just agree with the older child in the story. She was becoming them. And that's truly sad. Because if we do that, we miss the joy of being God's beloved sons and daughters right here and now. We miss the truth of what it means to be saved, what it means to be known, what it means to be loved by the Father. Because as bad as the younger kid is, as he disses his father saying, he can't wait for the old man to die, so he wants his inheritance now, which is basically what he was saying, then he gets it and then completely blows it. What's equally troubling is what you realize the older son has been going through just the motions. He's saying and he's doing the right things, but he doesn't know the gift that both sons shared with their loving father. The older son doesn't even realize and recognize how angry and resentful he's grown in his heart towards his brother and his father. It's almost like he was envious that the younger guy had the nerve to get his share when he did. And now that it seems like karma was a real thing after all, and the younger brother has made a complete mess, is desperate, and sheepishly comes home, he loses it that the father welcomes him back, that the father still loves him. It never crosses the older brother's mind that the father's heart was broken that his younger son had left. He's just as self-centered as the other guy, and worse, he's oblivious to it. 
No, it shouldn't be called the prodigal son, and it shouldn't even be called the ungrateful children. The point that Jesus wants us to focus on is the lavishly loving, merciful father. Because it's when the younger son lets go of his pride and his arrogance and his sinfulness and humbly comes back that he's, he's finally able to see the depth of love that the father has for him. For the older son, will he let go of his pride, his arrogance, and his resentment? Will he recognize how he's only had a surface level of respect for his father? Will he experience the love and the mercy and the reconciliation the father sees as the greatest gift he wants both sons to share? It all depends on whether he can let it go. What is the it for you today? The it you need to let go of. The thing that's causing tension and isolation from God and from each other. These readings are coming at a pivotal time for us. We're just over the halfway point of Lent. So maybe the hopes and promises that you intended on Ash Wednesday become distant hopes and forgotten promises. Or maybe you've been able to be faithful to the calls to fast and to pray and to give, but have gotten frustrated as you compare what you're doing to what others have not been. You've lost a a sense of the why, the who you're ultimately doing it for, and find yourself relating to the older brother. Maybe it's a mix of both. Where whatever it is and wherever it is that we find ourselves, ultimately what matters is that we're here. We're in the Father's house. And with three weeks to go, we're to focus on the truth that St. Paul reminded us in that second reading today. By being baptized, we are already new creations. The old things have passed away. But history tells us we can find ourselves just like the people of Israel, reverting back to those old things, clinging to things that we had let go of, choosing to enslave ourselves again as we grasp onto fears and doubts and overthinking giving into temptations, ignoring sins that were always one confession away from being forgiven of. Will we make changes to live this new life of Christ rather than reverting to old ways? The loving Father sent his only Son and poured out on us the Holy Spirit so that we would find how easy it is to let it go. And when we do that, to know and be known, and to love and be loved by him alone.